Welcome back to the shitcoin.com show, everyone. Um, our guest this week is Kevin Joe uh, from Galois Capital. I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. I did my research before yeah, this to double got. check. There one we go. One of you. <laughs> <laughs> How's, how are things, Kevin? How are, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, doing great. Uh, happy to be on the show and uh, yeah, interested in uh, having a chat with you guys. Definitely, definitely. So you, you and Andreas, you, you've known each other a while, right? You you go back in the in 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 crypto years, I guess, and you uh, know each other from from IRL, uh, so I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We um we were both working at Kraken quite a while ago. Uh, Kevin was running the trading desk. Um, I was uh, programming and socializing around the office, and. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, oh, I forgot to say, we were actually we were roommates as well. <laughs> I also uh, I also cleaned all of Kevin's dishes. Oh, not, <laughs> not like that. I don't remember any of that. You know, I, I don't recall. I don't recall how it used to be in that house. But it was. A, I think it was a fun time. We were living with uh, oh, yeah. two other guys, and it was the four of us living in this house. Yeah, mm. so it was a fun time. Nice, nice. So, uh, you know, Kevin, um, with with the, I guess I wanted to ask you about this just to dive into it. Um, seeing as though you you work, uh, you're you're a co-founder of Gawa Capital. Um, so there's been a lot of talk lately of traditional finance and traditional funds uh, wanting to get into crypto, but you know, you guys have been in in the space for a while now. Um, do you think traditional uh, firms are going to be able to compete? And how do you see that that playing out when people have got such deep knowledge uh, in the space? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, I think just to start, um, we're definitely seeing uh, you know a bunch of institutions start coming in, and I think largely that's due to you know folks like um, you know uh, Stanley Drunkenmiller, you know Paul, Tudor, Paul, Paul Tudor Jones, um, you know Ray Dalio. All these guys have started saying good things about crypto, and uh, you know that kind of removes the career risk for a lot of other you know emerging managers or capital allocators uh, to come into the space. And you know obviously it helps with uh, micro strategies with Elon too, um, you know coming in with Tesla. Uh, so a lot of these folks are coming in, uh, whether or not they're going to be able to compete. I think, I think it really depends on uh, what vertical we're talking about. Right. So if we're talking about like on the VC side, um, you know, certainly very top name uh, VCs, I think would be able to compete with crypto native VC firms uh, in that they, they already have a brand built up from like the tech days, that sort of thing. I think more middling sort of branded uh, VCs, I think they'll, they'll have a harder time because it is um, at this point, a little bit of an old boys network and getting deal flow is a little bit difficult and to, to really be immersed in the space um, provides a huge advantage, I think, on, on that side. And I think on top of that, there's also questions about judgment, uh, both in the short and long term about, you know, how exactly to invest into what kinds of tokens, um, you know, how exactly do these uh, technologies work. So, um, you know, I think the crypto native guys have some advantage, uh, but depending on the VC, they might be able to compete. Um, I think on the um, sort of like a more macro side, I mean, if you're if you're investing uh, for the long term, you're running some kind of fund in the traditional space. Uh, yeah, I think those guys, you know, they have access to a different pool of limited partners or investors uh, than some of these crypto guys do. Uh, you know, generally they're a little bit more suit and tie, a little bit more buttoned up and they have access to huge amounts of capital. So I think on the raising front, they'll probably won't have too much problem. Now on the investing side, um, I don't think they need to do anything fancy. I think in the beginning, a lot of these um, LPs are just looking for some kind of exposure, maybe alpha on top of a little bit of exposure to crypto. So I think, you know, they'll be, they'll do a fine enough job on that. Now, if we're going to get into like the nuances of how to 
do like yield farming or like, you know, how to invest into NFTs or how to invest into like these DeFi protocols. I think for that, probably the crypto native guys still hold uh, some competitive advantage and it'll take some time to build up that kind of uh, institutional and that kind of like tacit knowledge uh, for these latecomers uh, to, to adapt. Um, now, on the trading side, um, I would say that it's a, it's a bit of a mix. So if you look at, um, you know, some of these prop shops who have been doing like, let's say, high frequency uh, trading and market making for a while, you know, some of the Chicago boys like, uh, you know, Jump, Tower, HRT, all these guys, and, you know, all these guys are already in crypto. Uh, but, you know, folks like them as they come into the space, uh, I think they generally have an easier time adapting. I think for the most part, you know, the, the general principles of market making hold across all different types of markets, all different types of asset classes. They've already built up um, very heavy duty infrastructure, their, their, you know, internal speeds, uh, you know, the tick to trade on their trading systems are very fast. So they have all that down. Now, that being said, um, you know, maybe their crypto knowledge is um, not as uh, advanced as, you know, some of the more crypto native folks. But I think, you know, we've seen that at least with Jump, and I think they're one of the, you know, earlier prop shops to move, um, you know, they've been uh, very quick to adapt to DeFi. They're part of DeFi Alliance. I know they've been doing um, some market making on Serum. Uh, and then I think maybe less publicly known, maybe just some rumors. Um, you know, I've heard some things about, uh, you know, they've been tracing some sandwiching attacks back to those guys. And uh, those are reasonably sophisticated. I mean, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's still reasonably sophisticated, uh, you know, for a firm who's not native to crypto uh, to employ. Though I think at this point, it's fair to call them fairly native. I mean, they've been around for, for a very long time. Um, uh, and then I think, you know, I think outside of that, um, you know, I think custody and security always remains, um, you know, foremost in a lot of people's minds. And I think with a lot of these institutional guides, they have to get around um, how do they secure their crypto properly, right? On one hand, they can use uh, crypto native custodians, uh, either Gen 1 or Gen 2, right? So Gen 1 being like BitGo, uh, Anchorage, Coinbase, and then Gen 2 being like uh, Fireblocks or, um, you know, Copper. Um, so they could use that or they can build their own. I think if, if the entity is large enough, right? Like fidelity, it seems like they would have to build their own. Um, otherwise it's just, you know, people trust the fidelity brand, you know, and, and I think it just, it makes them look a little bit uncompetitive if they're not able to build it out natively themselves. So it's almost like from a branding perspective, from a business perspective, they can't really be using um, some other third-party service. Uh, but I think for maybe some of the smaller guys, uh, you know, as they develop more trust from some of these crypto native custodians, you know, I think they'd be happy to use them uh, or they can just use fidelity service, um, something like that. Um, I think with custody, there's always a challenge with um, sort of old school, um, you know, financial uh, institutions coming in because, you know, a lot of these institutions are very monolithic with a lot of different uh, levels in the hierarchy. And it, it makes it hard to, uh, you know, develop a, a custody solution because the sort of low level engineer who's actually implementing these things um, is so far removed from the incentives at the very top with the shareholders and, you know, CEO and whatnot, that uh, it makes it hard to cross that divide, right? So, um, you know, incentives are not the most aligned. I mean, the, the guy, you know, uh, he's not going to see that much upside to implementing it, you know, 100%. Uh, maybe he'll just do a 99% job, but then, you know, yeah. the, our management understands that. So they got to be extra strict about it. So then, yeah. you know, just, you know, then it just takes forever to get the product out because there's so much at stake. You know, it's just a lot of the problems of the calcification in, in the culture of a big company uh, that come into play here, which is why I think, you know, that stuff will be very slow to develop. Uh, in the end, it'll probably be fairly safe because I don't think they'd release a product onto the market, ruin their entire brand for, you know, some new 
new side side hustle, which would be crypto, but you know, it'll take a really, really long time, I think, to build out. So, um, you know, as opposed to maybe some some crypto native um, security or custodian solution where, I mean, they don't have anything to protect or lose anyway, right? So they can come out with stuff a little, little bit quicker. Um, so yeah, so uh, you know, I think that was that was a lot, but that was there was just some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a, I got a follow up. So, <clears throat> I mean, uh, you and I were actually talking about this many many years ago about traditional uh, finance trying to get into the space, um, and especially from the context of uh, I believe it cracked. At some point, you were trying to maybe hire people from traditional finance, mm-hmm. uh, and it is tough because you know for us you just always assume that everything is hacked and fucked and your money is gone and the exchange will just rug pull you or regulatory just disappear. Like any of this stuff for us, that's just like, that's just another day at work. You just assume that your money is going to be stolen. That's your default setting. And then over time, maybe you build a little bit of trust. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of the counterparty risk, but also, for us, it's normal that uh, that Binance or Bitfinex, whatever, just says, oh, this trading pair is offline, or we're doing emergency uh, maintenance <laughs> in one minute for, uh, for a week, or just like anything, or uh, extreme delay in placing orders or the inability to cancel orders, just any of this, or you can't get your money out for a while, your deposit is not getting detected, but all these things for us are just normal. But if you're coming from traditional finance, I mean, how are you supposed to, to change the way your mind works from everything always works. And when it doesn't, I call somebody mm-hmm. to yeah. a lot of things do not work at all. And there's no one to call. <laughs> and especially there's no one to call. Unless you've been building, unless you've been building a network for a long time. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Uh, sometimes there is nobody to call and sometimes you just got to chew a lot of glass. And, you know, sometimes there's a ghost changes on the API with no documentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, maintenance and downtime randomly. Um, there are times where, you know, you, li- you, you literally see bugs in the matching engine. I've seen bugs in the matching engine. Some of these exchanges, non-deterministic uh, behaviors, <laughs> these matching engines. So it's the, you know, same thing happens, two different thing, two different outcomes, you know? So like really crazy things, um, you know, like that, you know, I, I've seen, you know, um, or I've seen orders vanish in front of me as I go out to reach them and go out to hit them. Um, you know, I've, I was just like, it's endless basically. Right. And this is, I think, this is, I think partly where the alpha comes from is just the willingness to, um, deal with this kind of pain. Um, and I think if it was super simple and everything was super fast, well then, you know, it'd be very much dominated by a lot of the traditional players. Right. And well, and that's kind of their game and what they're used to. Um, and I think in, in some ways, because of the slow development of infrastructure in the space, um, it's actually been beneficial for a lot of crypto native folks, uh, because they have some kind of insulated time to go and catch up to uh, the major players. Um, now, you know, in, in terms of capital, take a really long time, I think, to catch up to, to how well-funded some of these guys are, you know, with their very deep pockets. But I think on the info side, you know, you know, maybe what they did and what they sort of discovered in the past two decades maybe could be covered in like seven years, six years, something like that. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's a little bit different. And I always, I find it interesting 
Um, you know, a lot of times when we hire folks, um, you know, you, you could hire folks on the crypto side, you could hire folks uh, more from the traditional side. And I think each one brings its own perspective. Each one has its own strengths and weaknesses, right? And one thing that always stood out to me a little bit is that sort of the the traditional guys, they don't know how, how bad things are and they don't understand just kind of how to like, you got to, sometimes you just got to shoot from the hip because like literally, you know, things change so fast. You, you don't even have time to build out an extremely robust solution. Uh, you got to just get something that works and uh, hopefully the, the alpha lasts, you know, for a couple months and then, you know, move on to the next thing. Um, you know, and then I think with the other, um, with the other folks with the crypto native folks, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to kind of teach them sort of like the history of, you know, finance, uh, finance industry, financial institutions, and, you know, sort of why things kind of develop the way that they are. Now, some things I think we can definitely improve upon, right. And we can do it better this time around, uh, in this kind of like parallel financial, uh, structure, but, you know, still there were some reasons why, you know, exchanges went to like a hub and spoke model, you know, why, you know, like, uh, why there's like transfer agents, why there's clearing houses, like we're kind of rediscovering these reasons too. Right. So we're kind of reinventing the wheel. So I think the second time around the wheel is better, but also, you know, there are some reasons why the wheel is round and it's not square. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So there's a, you're saying, you're saying there's a reason why the why the exchange clearinghouse custodian and exchange is not like one dude in his mom's basement. Stuff like that. Yeah, there's definitely good reason. And you know, if you think about it, that way, way, way back in the day, in the very early days of, of finance, I mean there there was a lot of these pieces that were uh, non-existent, right? There were no clearing houses in the super early days. And then slowly over time, these developed out of necessity. And it wasn't just because people wanted to overcomplicate things, right? Um, but, you know, over time, uh, that's just how it happened. Now, now maybe we're in, you know, some kind of local maximum and not like a global maximum. We got trapped there, right? Because that's kind of how things have been done. And we've just been, you know, settled into there and there's ways of breaking out. But, you know, we should understand the context of history and why things had happened the way that they did. Kevin, I wanted to ask you as well. So um, I was I was checking out some of your recent interviews and uh, heard you talking about um, Goa looking at yield farming and and having some fun with that. Um, obviously, you know, d during like Defy summer of, of 2020, everyone was a, a yield farmer. Um, do you think that now it's just turned into a whales game or how do you see that progressing on the yield farming side of things? How do you see it looking in, in the next year or so? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a great point. Uh, I think for the most part, with the exception of certain projects that are trying to get around this whale problem, uh, it pretty much is a whale's game. And, uh, you know, just maybe just to point some out, um, like for example, uh, Yearn uh, and uh, Wi-Fi, you know, this whole ecosystem is all about individuals pooling their capital together, maybe paying one times the gas fee, right? And then using these big chunks of capital in these pools, um, having some kind of automated yield, yield strategy. So they don't have to pay, you know, gas every single time they want to re, uh, you know, just uh, do crop rotation on their single, like, you know, $1,000, um, you know, farm. So now you pull everything together, you save on transaction costs and you don't have to manage it, right? So it's, it's it's a nice way for people to kind of like democratize this kind of like robo advisoring or this yield farming, these kinds of yield farming strategies. And they're starting to get pretty complicated. Like if you look at like things like Alchemix, you look at like the Iron Bank, um, you know, you, all, all these different ways of doing it. Um, it's starting to get pretty meta at some point uh, and, and very, very composed, many, many contracts down the stack. Um, now, uh, 
but outside of, I think that ecosystem, uh, generally it has been a, been a Wells game. And, you know, I think this is traditionally the crypto kitties problem and, and a problem. I think me and you, Andreas, we've talked about for many years before that, which is that, um, you know, you have so many different apps on Ethereum, which compete mm. for consumption of gas. And mm. at the end of the day, those users who are for a particular use case, which have the highest propensity to pay are going to start dominating other types of use cases. And it could be like a day by day kind of thing, right? Like today it could be protein folding that uses up all the gas and nobody else can do anything. Tomorrow it could be like this, uh, the sports betting for this, you know, the Super Bowl or something like that, you know, next day could be another thing. So it has a lot of this kind of stop and go, um, you know, function issue right and and uh, that's what they're trying to solve with the scaling yeah and and on that one kevin i mean we talked about this um, many years ago i don't even know when i don't know if it was from you or if it was from like it was like barry silbert it was somebody else as well who said um ethereum will be dominated by basically one application but the nasty part is that one application will be whatever um, is making, I guess, making somebody more money. So the natural one is is gambling because gambling is extremely hard margin, high margin. Mm-hmm. So you will end up with probably your your chain being dominated by the worst use case, like scams. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely something like that. It's basically, um, I agree. I think it's basically whatever, the, wherever the user has the highest propensity to pay, right? So like if to use one kind of product, they're willing to pay like a thousand bucks every per use, um, then, you know, they're, they're, they're just going to dominate the chain compared to people who are only willing to pay a hundred dollars per use. Right. So it, it all just comes down to like the gas schedule, how many function calls there are to the EVM and then what the actual cost of gas is. Right. And then you just sum total, uh, what the marginal willingness to pay for 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 each use cases and the more then the the higher ones are going to start dominating it seems that right now um it's exactly like you said which is about making money but i I think it's actually less about gambling and more about like arbitrage right like you look at like who's actually consuming tons of gas like alameda's consuming tons of gas and they're probably arbing all the dexes right because like they 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 do it such that every time they actually do a transaction it is profitable considering what the gas cost is so it's just like always going to be profitable basically right yeah sorry about that yeah. So, yeah. So basically just, just by the nature of the activity, um, the fact that it went through means that it was profitable. Right. So like they're only going to do it when, when, when that's the case. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that's been, that's been consuming up a lot of gas. Now uh, I think a lot of people are saying, okay, well maybe there's other ways of, you know, with, with, with scaling, you know, with sharding, with proof of stake, um, you know, a lot of this will be resolved with L2, uh, you know, uh, roll-ups, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, may- maybe it will, maybe it won't. Um, you know, one argument could be uh, that electricity is used for a whole bunch of different things, right? Um, so, you know, why is it that, you know, one use of electricity is not pricing out another? Well, I mean, technically it is, but the, basically the base cost is so low that it's still profitable to use it for so many different activities. So if the cost can be driven to that low as an analogy, um, you know, then, then maybe things are still possible, maybe multifunctional kind of uh, chain is possible. But I think a lot of that comes down to scaling, which is why they're trying so hard. And they've been trying for, for many, many years. Um, the other alternative that some people are saying is that maybe there's going to be, um, you know, these more, uh, these higher throughput chains like Solana, like BSC, stuff like that. Right. And, you know, I think my thought there is that I think generally, um, if there are easy ways to gain throughput without giving up 
decentralization, Ethereum probably would have already done it. Or if they haven't and they weren't able to figure that out and Solana actually does work, then I don't see why they can't just copy Solana, right? Now, a lot of that just comes down to like which side has more, more apps, which side has more network effects and has built out a moat. Um, but that being said, you know, Ethereum just being so early, it's built out, you know, quite a bit of that. So, you know, it, it does it, they have some time to copy and still be in the lead, in my opinion, if that ends up being the case. Um, and then there's also the question of, um, you know, centralization. And um, maybe there is a case where uh, some of these kinds of apps don't require decentralization, right? Like, for example, with a peg stable coin like USDC, I mean, it's already pretty much centralized on the minting and redeeming process anyway, right? So like any further centralization is not that not that much more damaging, right? It's only marginal da marginally damaging to decentralization, but you know, for the most part, it's not it's not a very big gap, right? Like something that's mostly centralized versus something that's slightly more than mostly centralized. I mean, it's not that big of a difference, right? So maybe for coins like that, that could be issued on some of these more centralized chains, and it should be okay, right? Um, now, there's also questions about like how do you port over, uh, you know, across all of these like cross chain bridges. Uh, you know, to, to make sure that you can use apps across different chains. Right. And then now, now you run into like some similar problems where if you start wrapping like BSC um, type tokens onto ETH, and then you want to move them around in ETH, you still have to pay the ETH gas costs. Right. So like, yeah. there's still it's like, it's like BSC style USDC and you wrap them to ETH. And then, well, now, now you, now you still got to pay gas to move that around. Right. So there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of questions there. So uh, still left unanswered, but we'll see, we'll see how it plays out. But uh yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't want to get my opinion too much there. Yeah, yeah. For I, I actually used one of those um, like Tridex things, and it, uh, it it basically the fees are insane because it was saying that you could basically switch switch between blockchains, but you know you, you realize that that's not not the case, is it? <laughs> There's still got to be the fees being paid. So uh, yeah, <laughs> not as not as great as it's as marketed. The marketing is very good, <laughs> but uh, not yeah. quite there yet, product wise. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it when we see it. You know, we've been yeah. hearing about these these pie in the sky, field of dreams type things. Uh, you know, especially twenty seventeen, I think a little bit better this time around uh, for a while now. So we'll, we'll believe it. Me and Andreas have been in the space for so long, we just assumed that everything is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> we, we've seen we've yeah. seen things come and go. You know, yeah. like, uh, you know, like Megacoin wasn't even that bad of an idea, but what, what's Megacoin? Where is that even today? You know, that uh, does that even still exist? You know, uh, shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, or like uh, one coin where there's only one that's <laughs> divisible, <laughs> but there's, there's one. So it's just a, it's like a comma thing. Oh yeah, there's um, the 42 coin. There was one where there's only 42 coins. I think I should remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like most and it's true, like, where is Gnosis, you know, where's Augur? Um, but we already knew this. And um, uh, I think the same will probably be true for like Tron. Eventually there will be no Tron. And most likely, eventually there will also be no Binance Smart Chain. This is just how it is. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, here's the thing, Andreas. You know, just on a on a on a publicly broadcast uh, a podcast, I just, <laughs> I just don't comment on stuff like that. You know, it's just uh, you know, there's uh, in polite company. I just in at dinner parties, I just don't talk about three things. I just don't talk about um, religion, politics, 
and then Tron. you know, and L1, <laughs> we, we, we just don't talk about the L1, we just <laughs> never talk about L1. You know? <laughs> so, okay. I will, I will not take that advice from you because of shake.com. Yeah. Um, well. But I, I guess I don't need favors as bad as you do. Oh, well, you know how it is. You got, you got the FCU money. I'm still in the space. I still got, you know, I still got to do business with everybody. So, you know, got to be diplomatic over here, you know? Yeah. Well, so, okay, Kevin, if you, if you can't, I understand you don't want to, you don't want to name and shame, but for people that, you know, are newer to the space, how, what, what should they be doing apart from just insane amounts of research to make sure they don't get rugged? <laughs> what is the, uh, Traders I think verdict. I, I think doing insane amounts of research is great. Um, I, I will say this though, uh, just to you know, just to uh, <laughs> clarify a little bit and to, to you know maybe qualify that statement, which is that there are times where um, you know there, there these some of these new yield farming protocols um, in the first day or the first few hours, the yields are absolutely insane because nobody's had time to truly vet out the protocol. So you really have to think about it as a reward, you know, a risk versus reward. Um, kind of bet, you know, maybe by the time the smart contract audit comes out, um, you know, the yields have already dropped by, you know, two, two decimal places. Right. Um, so, you know, I think if you're able to vet out the code yourself, if you can, if you can get in early while still having a good balance of doing your own diligence, um, I think that's probably most optimal. If you're, if you're not doing it as a full-time job, then I would say, just wait, then, then you should really do a lot of research and you should, you should wait until it's a lot safer. Um, uh, I'd also say that, um, you know, uh, don't be too greedy. Um, I, I think, you know, it's very easy to see things mooning like, you know, Cardano and just think that, oh, you know, I, I'm feeling the, the FOMO. I got to hop on this train. Uh, and, you know, nothing against Cardano. Maybe, maybe it's great. I just feel like, you know, you should, uh, you should be very careful. And I think you should, you should look to the old heads, I think a little bit, uh, not to, you know, pat ourselves on the back too much, but, you know, I think me and Andreas, we've, we've, we, we've been through enough to have seen people make and lose fortunes. Right. And I think one thing I think you'll agree with me on is that uh, generally the saying is true that uh, bulls and bears make money, but pigs get slaughtered. So you got to be very careful that you're not, you know, being too emotional and you're feeling too greedy and you really want those eye-watering six-digit yields. I mean, if it's too good to be true, maybe it is. Um, you know, maybe it's not, but, you know, if you miss out on it, it's okay. There's more, there's more opportunity. Um, so, you know, maybe just to leave it with, um, you know, the, uh, the ancient... Um, Sumerian saying, you know, shit coiners going to shit, you know? So, uh, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be more the one getting shit on, you know? So. <laughs> well, I think that, I think that rounds it up in the, uh, that's literally the best way we could end this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't top that. <laughs> So, uh, you know, Kevin, really appreciate your time. This has been great. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And guys, be sure yeah. to check out Galwa Capital on, on Twitter. I'll, I'll leave the links anyway. I know that, yeah, you can check out what, what, they're, what they're posting. I saw you guys are hiring. Um, oh, so yeah. definitely people should right. check that out. Um, as are we at shikwa.com. People should uh, check that out too. So, uh, <laughs> but, it's, but it's easier. We'll take somebody, we'll take somebody like IQ95 
Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> to work for Kevin, you're gonna have, to, you have a galaxy brain. <laughs> uh, you, you, you don't want to be in the middle of the bell curve. Uh, that's what I learned. Oh, no, that's the worst. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> where you're doing research. In the middle of the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Shift with side shift AI. Did that.